All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by my good friend, Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? Doing well, mate. Doing well. This smorgasbord of excellent wrestling we've got to watch today uh, for this review has made my uh, it made my uh, wrestling month, especially considering I yeah. watched Hell in a Cell. I did not watch Hell in a Cell, but you made my month with your picks here. Um, you managed to get the two biggest gimmick matches that the federations had to offer, and the dynamic dudes all in one package. So, what could be better? Absolutely nothing. These, these, it should we shouldn't really spoil them before we get started. But uh, it's just so nice to have something that doesn't make me want to punch me in the face. <laughs> And you picked really well this time because I also didn't want to punch you in the face when I watched these shows. Um, I was a little worried when next time you come back to the, uh, the old blighting that you were going <laughs> to stop off in the northeast and just give me a twatting. <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to come round and watch anything on your watch list, put it that way. <laughs> no, I see you have got the top ten of most shite wrestling. <laughs> Oh, man. But no, you've picked really well this time. Um, to fill everyone in on what we're watching, we have got the 1989 Royal Rumble from January 15th, 89. Uh, come to us from the summit in Houston, Texas, in front of 19,000 fans with a tagline of no partners, 30 opponents. And yeah, this is the first time that the WWF proved with the Royal Rumble they actually can't count to 30. They've got no ideas of numbers. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a thing they've been doing since 1962. <laughs> and they're up against the Great American Bash from the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. 14,500 fans watched that one on July 23, 89, and their tagline was the glory days. And this was definitely the glory days because the early 90s did not live up to the late 80s for WCW. No, there's definitely a dip before uh, before a rise, I think, it's safe to say. Indeed. Now, with that being said, which of the shows did you watch first this time around? I would remember... I went Rumble also, um, figured it was earlier in the year. So should we head over and see what Vince's band of merry men have got to offer here in late 89? Yeah, see what, uh, see what they've uh, come up with while they've been at the refreshment table. The Wooly Federation, what the world is watching. Hulk Hogan! Bad News Brown! Hacks and Smash Demolition, Hakeem the African Dream, The Red Rooster, and Jake the Snake Roberts, Luke and Butch the Bushwhackers, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Andre the Giant, Rick Martel, The Rockers, Big John Stad, and the Honky Tonk Man. Rugged Ronnie Garvin and the Brain Busters, Tito Santana and the Powers of Pain, the Big Boss Man and Coco Beware, Hercules, Outlaw Ron Bass, Mr. Perfect, Brutus the Barber, the Million Dollar Man. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, all participating in the Royal Rumble. The 89 Rumble gets us started with that classic What the World is Watching intro, which I always loved. And Vince gives us a throaty rundown of the card, which I will have previously put in here as our intro to the show. Did you enjoy that opening there, Richie? 
Perfect. Just if if you were like, oh, I've got to watch this because I'm doing a podcast. The minute Vince starts, you're like, oh, boom, bang. That's, I don't, I don't even, I couldn't even guess who wins this. I'm just gonna sit and watch it. Hell yeah, and if things got uh, were good with Vince opening up, the commentary team made me even happier because we've got the classic duo of Gorilla and Jesse who run down the card for us to open up. You just don't need... I mean, they've got a lot of decent partners and packages, but uh, I'm always happy when it's just these two. 100%. We get started with a bit of an interesting one, a... Two out of three falls, six-man tag, which is something you don't see very often. It's a fabulous Rougeau's and Dino Bravo taking on the Hart Foundation and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So we're going to get three falls of Hacksaw. Thank God Bret Hart's going to be tagging it. Yeah, uh, I was willing to bet who wasn't going to eat the bin. <laughs> yeah, you probably um, wouldn't have got very long odds on that one. Yeah, yeah. Hacksaw. <laughs> Dollar one to take a pin. Yeah, uh, it, it's odd to think that in the 80s, the people you think of never getting pinned into people like Dusty Rose or Dogan, uh, Roddy Piper famously, and actual Jim Duggan. Yeah, just throw Bad News Brown into the mix and you've got the, the real Holy Trinity there. Oh, yeah. Although, uh, no, no fuck is going to be pinning Bad News Brown unless he wants him to anyway. Exactly. Uh, the crowd's really hot here before the bell, and when we get started, it's Dino and uh, Jim Neidhart in both having a little power uh, contest. Neidhart hits a clothesline before Duggan comes in and hits a slam. Bret Hart goes for a few pin attempts when he gets in, all getting two counts. Um, and then Neidhart is basically hitting all three men with shoulder blocks in the corner, stacked up on top of each other, which was a, a reasonably cool spot for the time. Doesn't feel too old-fashioned. Indeed. Uh, the heels finally get control of the match when they low bridge Bret Hart. Dino hits him with his patented side suplex. And the Rougeos hit a cool double team move, which is almost like a doomsday device. But instead of a clothesline, it's a senton off the top. And that's enough to pick up the first fall with a pinfall victory over Bret. The rules of the match state here in a two out of three tag that the previous two, uh, so that the whoever won and lost, who, the two legal men have got to start, so they get to a bit of more of a beatdown on Brett. Ray hits a gut wrench suplex on him for a two. Dino Bravo an inverted atomic drop for a two, and they really are trying hard not to let him out. Um, lots of submission attempts on Brett before he does fire back and hits an inverted atomic drop, which really gets a crowd fired up. And then the huge hot tap tag to Jim Duggan who cleans house catapults both hearts onto Ray Rougeau and that's enough for a 1-2-3 to tie up the falls at one apiece who would have thought it one each I, I was amazed <laughs> When the final fall gets underway, we get started a big clothesline from Duggan. Uh, we get a double team on Jim Duggan as well. And then Jacques Rougeau hits a nice drop kick. Dino Bravo, a big elbow. And then Bret Hart comes back in, hits a backbreaker and a second rope elbow going through the moves of Doom. But he's stopped by Ray Rougeau before he can get to all five. We get a bit of a melee with all six men. And then Duggan uses a two by four for the cheap... Uh, for, for the cheap foreign object shot, and this allows Brett to pick up the pin for the one, two, three, and the baby faces win the opening contest two to one. Good match. I don't understand how Triple H using the sledgehammer is a heel move, yet Duggan can use a two by four, and that's a face move. It concerns me. A lot of things about Jim Duggan concern me, though. He made money with it, but I just, there's just, I don't get it, but we've had this. Is before, but it's the the two by four. I don't understand. 
in a, in an era of uh, faces and heels being relatively well defined, that uh, Jim Duggan gets cheered for it is only the Edward piece of work. Fair enough. Um, we then get a bunch of wrestlers picking their numbers out of the spinning lottery ball for the Royal Rumble. Um, Honky Tonk Man, the Bushwhackers, Bad News Brown, Jake Roberts, and the Rockers all take picks. But the absolute highlight of this is Ted DiBiase picking his number out after bumping into Slick and the Powers of Pain and the Powers of Pain, the um, Twin Towers, sorry. And Ted DiBiase picks his number. He's not too happy with it. Chases after Slick, and they have a conversation about how happy Slick was with his picks. And the infer- uh, inference here is that Ted is going to bribe Slick to swap numbers with one of his guys. A very memorable segment that I actually remembered quite well to this day. So did you enjoy that? Fucking love it. Yeah, I love the sort of like backstage continuity they did where nobody was sort of like in their own storyline, which is something I think we get too much of now. Just, just I love the whole bit of the uh, drawing the numbers. Just thought it was a really good way of getting everyone over without having to go back to promos or bullshit. <laughs> well, the time has finally arrived for the million dollar hand to pick the million dollar number. And the winning number is. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, wait a minute. Slick, slick, slick. Uh, hey, what's up, man? What's up, Slickster, brother? Slickster, uh, listen, I got a question for you. When you picked uh, your numbers for your voice today, uh, were you happy with it? <laughs> brother, unbelievable. That happy, huh? Hey, man, exactly. Well, let's 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 go talk this over. I, I got something to talk to you about. That's real important. What's up, man? Gentlemen, excuse me, gentlemen. And then something that I didn't necessarily love, <laughs> we got Judy Martin taking on Rockin' Robin for the Ladies' Championship. Now, I've been surprised about the uh, women's wrestling because obviously it only started in 2015 with the Four Horsemen. But it's actually been pretty good thus far. However, this <laughs> is not. <laughs> It starts off with Sherry in the ring challenging the winner, and I hope whoever wins this, she takes the belt from immediately and retires it because this was terrible. Um, the match, we have a slugfest, a drop kick from Rock and Robin, um, a Judy Martin slam and a knee, a Boston Crab. Sherry, of course, has joined the commentary table, uh, but even she can't liven this up. Gorilla Monsoon tells us that Judy Martin looks a little lethargic to me, and that's a definite understatement. That's um, the equivalent of JR's bowling shoe ugly, I think. Oh, man, it's... She doesn't look like she's ever wrestled. <laughs> Rock and Robin hits a DDT for a two count. It's a really, really awful looking spot. Um, Judy Martin comes back with a slam, and Sherry on commentary says what we're all thinking. Come on, somebody just win. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> Which Rock and Robin promptly does with a second rope crossbody for a three, and mercifully we end and go out to a WrestleMania five advert. I'm glad that uh, Neil... Near Falls didn't exist when they were doing this. <laughs> we then go to Sean Mooney with Slick and the Twin Towers. Uh, Slick tries to say that he's not seen Ted DiBiase in over a month, but he's then shown the footage and has to backtrack and eat his words. The highlight of the, this Slick promo is the fact that he just kept on saying, exactly. Yeah, I like that. I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I was chuckling that much, but I haven't managed to uh, squeeze it into a conversation at work. Waiting for the right meeting. 
and see if anyone notices. <laughs> I'll I'll use it tomorrow, no problem. <laughs> I, I, I like slip it. I, I think that uh, you can get away with stuff like you. Is that shoot? In, uh, people almost understand what you're mispronouncing words. You can't be it. <laughs> I've started to use heel turn a lot in day to day life. <laughs> yeah, if uh, I have to describe anything, uh, I generally use the eighties WWE now. Now I know so much about it. WWF. It's like, oh, I've got a story about investment. Investment. <laughs> I was chatting to someone the other day um, at work who I, I think they're from Norway, and they said to me something along the lines of, um, in the, in the Norwegian language, the word. There's only one word that is used for both chair and for trust. And my instant response to this guy to his complete bewilderment was, oh, that must make wrestling really awkward when you get hit with a steel trust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it ruins you for real life purposes. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, you, you just wander around thinking about ancient scenes and uh, <laughs> you look at people and go, okay, then. <laughs> or have a, have a drink playing football and have to do the Triple H water spit. Yep. We then go to another classic, iconic uh, childhood memory of mine, the super pose down between Ravishing Rick Rude and The Ultimate Warrior, hosted by Mean Gene, um, and the winner will be decided by the people's choice. So it's almost, uh, you could say, it's predetermined who's going to win this. Yeah, it's almost as if Vince uh, knows exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> And um, the WWE Network here earns my dick move of the week for dubbing over Ravishing Rick Rude's classic theme with a generic shit version of it. I don't understand why they do that. There's that. And like later into the 90s, they overdub Hillbilly Jim. And I can't see why those two pieces of music would be need uh, sorting out. There's... Not much really, like, uh, I can live with a lot of the music changes. Like, I get they can't use Enter Sandman and things like that. But taking out their own created themes, and, of course, the classic one that really irritates me is using Jericho's um, WWF theme in WCW. Those two really grind my gears. I think it's more irritating because it's just Vince's tightness. He has, that WWF has got the money to pay the licensing on those songs. And given Enter Sandman is advertising Call of Duty over here, it's not like Metallica or, oh, you cannot license our songs. So just just pay some cash. They pay, talk, talking of cash, I mean, they still play the Johnny Cash music for Triple H and The Undertaker. So it's like, oh, well, you, you're the Sandman, so you can have this crap music. You want, you want to see CW ones, and it's just crap cover over crap cover over crap cover. Yeah, it's pretty awful. The commentary here really gets me early as well because Gorilla Monster in talking about the Warrior says, this guy doesn't need to get pumped. He's always pumped. To which Jesse Ventura replies, he's an idiot. Yeah, I love that. That's like non-secutor insult. It's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> we get the first pose, which is a double bicep. Um, the second pose is abs and the third is most muscular. And in between each pose... Rick Rude stalls and the crowd always picks a warrior. Um, the fourth pose is the medley and Ultimate Warrior goes to hit his last poses and Rick Rude, realizing he's beaten, nails him with his metal workout bar um, and lays him out. A really good beat down here from Rude, getting some awesome heel heat. Warrior's left unconscious for a moment. Eventually he does come to life and then he nails the refs and legs it out of there and the crowd absolutely love this. He... um. 
was so, so over at this point in time. You could definitely see him being groomed into being a big star. The thing I liked about the uh, beatdown is uh, Rick Rude uses the bendable bar to choke him. <laughs> it does, like, yeah. Like, I'm, I, I'm not going to say it wouldn't work, but you're not making it easy for yourself. Did you notice as well, one of the officials, I, I might be wrong on this, but to me, he looked a hell of a lot like Nick Bockwinkle. Yeah, I thought it might have been, but I didn't want to check Wikipedia because you never quite know what you're going to get, and I would rather just not find it. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's um, see if anyone else out there knows the answer to that. We then go to a promo. It's Mr. Fuji, um, then Liz, then Jimmy Hart, all talking about the Rumble. No great promos here, but I like the rapid-fire nature of them anyway. And then we go to... Jesse Ventura sat on a throne and they're talking about who's going to win the, the battle for the kingship. Both Bobby Heenan guys, Haku and King Harley Race or former King Harley Race. You know what? I was just waiting for a potato fest. Bring in the spuds. <laughs> you got that pretty well as well. Um, it starts out with a, um outside brawl. Harley Race hits a big clothesline for a two. They brawl on the outside some more. An inverted atomic drop and a pair of elbows before Haku comes back with some chops and some kicks. Another slugfest and then a Harley pile driver for a two. A head clash and then a Haku suplex for a two. Harley comes back with a suplex on his own and then a pile driver on the floor, which was quite cool. And a swinging neck breaker for a two count. Haku hits a slam and they both miss flying headbutts, but Haku hits him with a super kick for the one, two, three and retains the crown. I really enjoyed that. It's not special, but I just I think I think it's because Harley wrestles again. He's, he's got his own flavor of wrestling from not working in Vince Land all his all his career. It's just and he just pub tough. It's just I don't think it's safe, it's safe to say that he, Harley Race he's pretty good. He's yeah, got a future. Not bad at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had a great past. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we then go to more promos it's beefcake then the hammer powers of pain with fuji um we've got big john stud mr perfect and the macho man another great macho man uh promo which i've got no idea what's talking about <laughs> the more the more the merrier of those for me mm-hmm. just, it, I, I know you can kind of draw comparisons between now and then but uh the, the scripted promos that they give, like Seth Rollins or Becky Lynch, take what are, uh, certainly Becky Lynch, what, what are, like, characters that don't need them and forcing in five word, uh, lines more dialogue than they need. And then you just watch a match, watch Macho Man just wibble on for 10 seconds and you're like, I know who that is. I get it. I get it. That's Macho Man. Next. 100%. Um, but the biggest problem with current WWE promos is they just don't sound like people having an argument. No, no, I, I, it's like, I'm going to say my line because then you say your line. And it's like, I know they can't tread on each other, but like, if you go back, I always think that uh, Austin was good at it. When the other person was talking, he was always, he wasn't stood waiting, even though he was waiting to work out what he was going to say. It was like, it was when you're having an argument, the other person has to speak at some point. Oh, 100%. Um, 
the back and forth nature back in the day was a lot better. But um, I think we, we get off on this tangent quite a lot. We um, we see some more promos. This is a round where I'll splice some of these in because they're some of the better ones. Ted DiBiase and, Ver- and Virgil. Um, the Heenan family with Sean Mooney. And then finally Gene with Hulk Hogan before we go into the Rumble match itself. Right now we're going to take you to more interviews from Royal Rumble participants. Everybody's got something exciting to say, Jess. This is the big event. It's going to be something else. It's a rumble. Here they come. Barber, he always carries the tools of his trade. Well, in this case, the Royal Rumble, baby. I've got the only tools I need right here. These two fists is just what I need to make my way through all those wrestlers, through all those men, to make my way to the top. So that I am the last man <laughs> to survive. The sole survivor, the last man. That's what it's all about. There's not going to be anyone in there who's going to be watching my back. It's me against everyone else. <laughs> That's right, baby. And the tools I need are right here on the end of these two meat slabs, baby. So the rest of you boys... You better beware, because maybe I might have a pair of scissors in my shoe somewhere, and I might still do a little bit of strutting and a little bit of cutting when I'm done. 30 top stars from the World Wrestling Federation, and I'm one of them. And I also know, you know, I've been around the World Wrestling Federation for a long, long time, and I know I can't trust anybody. I've had a lot of partners in the past, and I know that for a fact I cannot trust anybody but myself and I'm talking about Jimmy Hart too and I'm also talking about the honky-tonk man if I have to fight him I will do that a Royal Rumble 30 top stars of World Wrestling Federation and the winner is going to be as far as I'm concerned Greg the Hammer Valentine I don't need to bring anything in like an axe or a scissors All I need is my two bare fists. That's how I got the name, The Hammer. That's how I became the legend, Greg The Hammer Valentine, an individualist only caring about himself, and I'm going all the way to the top to be the winner. Okay, look at my puzzle piece. Show how much endurance they get. They ran 20 miles around Hilton in less than one hour. They just did a thousand push-ups. And look how big they are. Look at their arms, their chest, their thighs. Anybody Royal Rumble, beware, especially you guys, the demolition. Because the Royal Rumble is coming in. And because what happens if they should face each other in a match? Let me tell you, the only will be one winner. And the winner will be me. Master Fuji will be the big winner. I will take home everything. It's been a long time since I've stepped over the top rope in a wrestling ring, but in a few short minutes, you're going to find out whether the two years of hard lifting, the two years of hard training paid off. Well, things have changed for John Studden, the World Wrestling Federation. One thing's for certain, Heenan will not be in my corner. Another thing for certain, when I step over that top rope, I don't know who my friends are, and I don't know who my enemies are. But I know one thing, I'm going to give it everything I have. And when the smoke clears, and it comes down to one man, it will be John Studd. 
1989, a brand new year, and Mr. Perfect is declaring this the year of perfection. And I could think of no other way to prove to the wrestling world, all over the world, that I am Mr. Perfect, the Royal Rumble. 30 of the World Wrestling Federation superstars could all be in the ring at the same time. And you've got tall men, and you've got short men, and you've got perfect-sized men. So what I'm going to do is tip the big man over, throw the little man out, and Mr. Perfect will stand and remain the number one man in the World Wrestling Federation. See, I have no friends. I'm not looking for any friends. And when it's all said and done, Mr. Perfect is where it at. So whether you like it or don't like it, it's the way it is. Freak out, freak out, ooh yeah. Zillions of people all around the world are gonna be watching, yeah. And at the summit in Houston, Texas, it's the Royal Rumble, yeah. 30 big time wrestlers, yeah, with reputations to match. No partners, every man for himself, yeah. Uh-huh, I'm on top of the mountain and I feel like I'm alone now, yeah. And I'm warning each and every person that comes into the squared circle that I am the World Wrestling Federation Champion, yeah. And I'm used to being number one. And macho madness will be felt in the summit in Houston, Texas, and all around the world. Zillions of people will witness, yeah. And the people that come into the ring will feel the pain, yeah. They'll feel the intensity of the macho man Randy Savage. Because I didn't become the World Wrestling Federation champion by, uh, yeah, letting big time things slide by. I'm the champion now, and I'm going to be the champion of the Royal Rumble. Ooh, yeah. Yes, indeed, everyone knowing how important it is to have that feather in your cap to be the winner of the Royal Rumble, yet at the same note, everyone knowing how difficult it will be to survive inside that 30-man over the top. That's right, the Royal Rumble, the preliminaries are over, now it's time for the main event, Gorilla. I, I would like to, do you have any insight as to who got the luck of the draw? No, I certainly don't. I didn't want to know who got the luck of the draw. I'm well, waiting as well as you. That plays such an important part in this match that it's going to be unreal to find out who got those big, high numbers. Right now, let's go to Mean Gene, who's with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, in this last-minute interview. All right, Virgil, along with the Mega Dollar Man, and you've got a smile on your face of sorts. You've got to be happy about something, Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Just a few minutes away from the Royal Rumble, 30 of the top stars in the World Wrestling Federation, and topping off that list, the top star in all of the wrestling world today, yours truly, the Million Dollar Man. And when you're as wealthy as I am, Okerlund, you can be as lucky as you want to be. Wait you a minute. On the subject of luck, what was going on between you and the Doctor of Style Slick? Was there some business <laughs> transaction? What are you insinuating, little man? I wouldn't question your integrity. You know me better than that. <laughs> well, like I said, placement in this event is by luck of the draw. And like I said before, when you've got my kind of money, you can be as lucky as you want. Well, joining me now, Bobby the Brain Heenan, members of the Heenan family. And uh, Mr. Heenan, I'm sure you're well aware, only one man wins the Royal Rumble. Well, I'm not sure how the other managers prepare their men. But believe me, the Heenan family's ready. We know what we're up against, and we're ready for anything. You can bet on that. Okay, also the Brain Busters involved, Tully Blanchard. You know, it's just an honor to be in the Royal Rumble, to be one of the finest 30 in all of professional wrestling. But you know, I think we're standing here with the winner. 
Okay, and Art Anderson. Don Moody, if you want to win the Rumble, you got to be a loner. You got to go right for the juggler. All people, 30 men, just 30 numbers. That's the way we're going to view them. 30 <laughs> men, 30 numbers. Okay, many, many believe the odds on favorite Andre the Giant. I don't know what time I'm going to come in the ring, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I know when I'm going out of the ring, I will be the last one. I never lost the match so far. And I come here again to win. And even you guys don't better on stopping in front of me. Because you guys going out just like everybody else. And I will stay in the middle. Well, there you have it from the Heenan family. Let's go back to Gene Okerlund. All right, Hulk Hogan, and visiting you over the past week, you are hungry. But what if, in the Royal Rumble, the big boss man should track you down? Well, you know me, Gene. I'm worried about a lot of things, man, in the Royal Rumble. You know, yeah, the boss man's one. But first off, me and all my Hulkamaniacs, we're looking at the Royal Rumble as the resurrection of Hulkamania, man. Oh, yeah, Hulkamania lives. Oh, yeah, Hulkamania's running wild. And you better believe the Hulkster rules, brother. But if somebody like the big boss man gets in my way, I'm going to give him a lifelong sentence of Hulkamania. Even if his partner, the bad Akeem, gets in my way, I'll press him over my head and throw him out of the ring. We got the Heenan family. We got seven foot four, 565 pounds, Andre the Giant. But I got a lot of things going for me, Mean Gene. I got the three demandments for a foundation, the training, the prayers, the vitamins, brother. And with all my little Hulksters watching my back, I don't care if it's dog eat dog in there. I don't care if it's every man for himself because a deck is stacked in my favor and with all my little hulksters watching my back i predict victory for hulkamania all right at the risk of sounding negative hulk hogan what if you and your mega power partner the macho man randy savage in this competition where there are no partners what if the two of you happen to collide well you know i've thought about every given situation me and gene i've thought about what would happen if this happens and what would happen if that happens but if the macho man the w WWF champion happens to end up in the ring with me, the Hulkster brother. I kind of feel sorry for him, Mean Gene. Oh, he's a friend, yeah. Yes, I love him like a brother, and we're both guided by the same manager. But when it comes down to who rules in the WWF, who is the real champion, I guess if it comes down to me and the Macho Man, he's going to find out real quick that the Hulkster's never been beaten. I've got the largest arms in the world. And yes, Macho Man, I am still calling the champ by all my Hulkamaniacs. What are they going to do when the largest arms in the world rumble on through? Oh, what more can you say? Gorilla Monsoon, let's go back to you. Strap in because this is obviously a bit of a long one, the 30-man rumble. The, the first ever 30-man rumble, this one, I'm pretty sure. 88, I think, was 20-man and Jim Duggan had won it. Yep, and then we've had 40 and 50 since. I, I, I think 30 is perfect. 30 is definitely the sweet spot. Um, <clears throat> we also get what may be my favorite ever Royal Rumble opening pairing of all time, because here comes the axe and here comes the smasher. What are the odds? I know, brilliant. Um, actually, stay tuned to that at this match because that becomes a trend later on. But this is great. Um, I love the, the foreshadowing of it all as well with Howard Finkel announcing the two participants that drew at, Random. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, Fink. <laughs> no wonder Vince tries to get rid of you every chance he has. Yeah. Um, 
basically we get no stalling from these guys. They get right into it and they do lay into each other for the best part of two minutes before number three comes out and it's their nemesis, the big Andre the Giant, who of course is um, part of a tag team with Haku around this period and definitely um, big time opponents of Demolition. So that brings Axe and Smash to a halt and they start double teaming up on Andre. Well, I think holds himself pretty well in this match, given that uh, he's well documented medical problems in the late late eighties. He's uh, he still can evoke what he needs to. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been any other wiser at this point in time, to be honest. Um, he fights back and holds his own as they try and get rid of him. Mr. Perfect comes out as number four. And around this time, Andre dumps out Smash. And then now it's Perfect, Andre, and Axe all battling as individuals. Perfect. Nice times. Number five is Rubbish Running Garbage, um, and Andre gets tied up, and this allows a three-on-one beatdown, um, but he does get out of the ropes and take everybody down and clean house again. Number six, it comes out, it's Greg the Hammer Valentine, and Andre hip-tosses Ronnie out of the match. And then number seven is Jake the Snake Roberts, who goes straight after Andre, but pretty well gets put in his place by the Giant. Yeah, he gets spanked. Number eight is Outlaw Ron Bass, who um, comes out as Andre tosses Jake. Number nine is Shawn Michaels, and Mr. Perfect dumps Axe, so the two demolition members are both gone at this point. And Shawn skins the cat and hits a dropkick on Perfect, who does similar. So this is a future feud coming up, but both guys show early doors some of the stuff athletically you can do inside the Rumble match. Yeah, it's, it's a good contrast with all the sort of like older established wrestlers we're still having good matches but those two come out and it's like oh have you you seen this 100% we then see Butch come out at number 10 and we hear a big pop which confuses me but I realise it's because Jake has put Damien into the ring and Andre has jumped over the top rope and eliminated himself time for elimination indeed number 11 is Honky Uh, we get Guys starting to pair off in the corners now, and it slows down a little bit. 12 is Tito. Um, He comes out. uh, We've got some old-school corner deadlifts. Uh, Not the most exciting, but still fun, especially if you grew up watching this. Yeah, it's it's that mid-rumble kind of, uh, you wait for the next person to come out, and they've pretty much run out of stuff to do section. It's been part of the rumble. Indeed. Uh, number 13 is Bad News Brown. Butch and Tito manage to toss the Honky Tonk Man out. Number 14 is Marty Janetti. So the Rockers hit a double drop kick on Outlaw on Bass, getting rid of him. Number 15 at the halfway point is Macho, who goes nuts on Bad News Brown. Uh, number 6 is Arn Anderson. And we get Savage dumping out the hammer. Arn and Macho double team Sean, and he is eliminated next. Number 17 is Tully, and there's just limbs everywhere, but Arn does hit his beautiful spine buster on Marty, which is the highlight of this little section of the match, and the brain busters dump Marty out. Number 18 is the Hulkster, so the odds-on favourite to win it all, and he comes out and tosses Mr. Perfect out. Macho Man gets rid of Tito as number 19 comes, and it's Luca the Bushwhackers, Bad news tosses Butch, and everyone starts teaming up on the Mega Powers as we get to the two-thirds mark. (laughs) 
We then get number 20, Coco Beware. Um, we get some good action in the ring. Hogan tosses Coco, though he doesn't last long. And Luke comes out as number 21. We then get the Warlord. Um, Hulk Hogan tosses out both Brainbusters and the Warlord, comes in and gets clotheslined out immediately. Hogan then tosses Bad News and Macho Man at the same time, and Macho gets back in to argue with him, but Liz comes out to stop them, and they get a handshake, and Macho leaves the ring. Hogan, oh, what a mate. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it doesn't uh, give Hogan much respite, though, because Boss Man comes out next. Hogan nails him with a clothesline, some elbows, and a slam, and Boss Man's shirt has come out already, as was the style at the time for him, and Hogan then hits him with a pile driver. But number 23 is Akeem. And now this is um, the point where I said to keep an eye out later on because despite the at random call from Fink, this is now the third time in this match alone where tag team partners have come out back to back. Yeah, they, they didn't mix this one. No, not very random. Uh, Gorilla says there's no way to get these two. We can get these two together. And it just makes me laugh because it definitely is. It's happened twice already in this match. The precedent has been set. They double team on Hogan. He does fight back, uh, but gets eaten with a double avalanche, and they dump Hulk. Um, As always, when Hulk gets eliminated, that's not fair, and he wants to react, but they do eventually talk him out of that. Um, He does, however, not stay talked out of that because Beefcake comes out and then Hogan Lowbridge is the boss man. Um, Gorilla Monsoon is so biased basically saying that he had that deserved and Hogan and boss man do the standard 80s brawl to the back. 25 is the Red Rooster. 26 is the Barbarian. Um, We get an Akeem splash on the Red Rooster and 27 is Big John Studd who brawls with Akeem. 28 is Herc, 29 is Rick Martel, and number 30, having paid for the number earlier, we're led to believe, is Ted DiBiase. Dastardly. <laughs> Not the most spectacular star-studded final eight, but it was cool to see some different names in the mix, at least. Um, you get a little bit, um, certainly after this, I think the next few rumbles, you get a little bit of Hogan fatigue, leading to a bit of a turning on the crowd from him in 92, so it's good to see him not in the main event Oh, at at the end in the main event here for this one. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I like the anyone can win it because they haven't. I, was, I like the getting the WWE title match thing they do now, but it does mean only four people can technically win the rumble. And even if somebody didn't expect, like Santino, when he was when he almost won against Del Rio, you, you know, even if he had done that, they would have found a way of getting the title shot off of him so he doesn't mean that much definitely um ted dumps out the red rooster and then he and barbarian dump out beefcake and hercules barbarian hits a power slam and a flying headbutt on rick martell um rick martell ducks and drop kicks barbarian out akeem dumps out rick martell and we get a classic two on one now um on big john stud stud pulls ted in front of an avalanche and then dumps akeem and then Ted tries to bribe Big John Studd, who's having none of it, hits him with a slam, an underhook suplex, a gut wrench suplex, and then quite easily tosses him out. Virgil comes in and attacks him, but he deals with him quite easily and tosses him out as well. Um, for a bit of a shock ending to the Royal Rumble, your winner, Big John Studd. Good, good match. I, I, I had an inkling once he John, Big John Studd came out that I knew he won, but uh, no, it can be entertained. It, sometimes it's odd with the Rumble, you know, the, the corner lifts and then you just get the 
we're all waiting until we're going to get thrown out section. But, yeah, really, really good. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Um, we get still shots of the show to end as well. Um, but overall, yeah, this was um, highly enjoyable. I really, really liked it. No, it's really good. It wasn't. Uh, when the Rumble's essentially at least 60 minutes long, if they stick to the two minutes for 30 men, plus, say, another 15 when they're all out, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need the, 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 the shortness of the other matches. I mean, I think we only have two, two or three matches. Three. Um, two. Aku, the sixth man, and the, the leads. Yeah, and the pose down. So yeah. two, three matches in a segment, really. I just, I didn't get bored of wrestling because it is, it is news, folks. It is possible to get bored of just wrestling. Indeed. No, I really enjoyed this. I thought the match was good. It was unpredictable. It was enough moving parts and enough fun to keep it going. And the show overall, I thought was really good as well. So, um, yeah, thumbs up for me for this one. Yeah, good stuff. Now, this is the halfway point of the show, and as always, we have a little portion here where we talk merchandise, so let's go and do that. Well, the uh, the thing was, I was never the biggest merchandise kind of person, but when I was uh, in my, uh, it would have been my early 20s when I started really getting into wrestling, uh, a little insight into my, uh, my youth, it was drinking on a Thursday night, wrestling on a Friday night, drinking on a Saturday night. So uh, on Friday night, I was watching wrestling with my mum, and uh, she was a massive fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I uh, bought, I can't remember what the name of the other, like these little teddy bears, there's like a Mankind, Vince, Stone Cold, and I think Road Dog. Uh, and it was, I think it must have been one of the first times that I bought it with like a coupon from the back of the magazine, probably Power Slam <laughs> or something like that, or one of those, or World of Wrestling. So it wasn't really for me, but uh, they, 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 I think that, uh, it's certainly downstairs now because my man's no longer on this planet. She's in the wrestling ring in the sky. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I was. Uh, just remember thinking they'll never turn. And then uh, there they were. It wasn't the most, uh, I guess, exciting memorabilia. But like I said, I'm too tight for not not reviewing your, uh, your thousands upon thousands of figures. <laughs> I'm just a giant child, so that's really all there is to that story. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you can play it on the PlayStation or a Nintendo, uh, then I will. But then I've lost so many hours to that. It's ridiculous. Well, I, by the looks of everything I'm seeing online, I'll be giving 2K20 a wide berth this year. I Probably only with the wrestling games, I get every probably second or third one these days. Uh, they're just too repetitive for my liking, and they never have enough of it. I'm, I'm really, to be honest with you, I... I have, I, I call me what you want, but I really hate this era of downloadable content, and I hate the fact that they keep wrestlers back every year to try and get you to pay more than the price of the game. If it's not in the game, I'm not buying it. No, I agree. I, I just I don't know what it is about the concept. Of that, it hasn't really changed that much. I don't know if it's 
I used to quite like the, you know, the two-year career mode with a creator wrestler, but, you know, all the situations weren't voiced, so you could get a lot more variation in it. You just don't necessarily... I don't think you get really get your, your money's worth from the wrestling. You think wrestling might be fine in game, but the storylines don't necessarily match up. Uh, and sometimes you send them in a situation where it's like, well, no, I, I, I wouldn't. That's not how I would have played this game, but you've already made that choice for me. 100%. Plus, there's a spectacular amount of wrestlers I don't want to play uh, WWE games as. Oh, yeah. I just basically immediately buy the game and start trying to unlock Legends. That's all. I only want to play as Undertaker, Sting, Ultimate Warrior. And, you know, maybe some of the NXT guys or a few of the guys that I'm not jaded of yet. I really liked, I think it was Here Comes the Pain or one of those ones when we got, like, the likes of Brock and RVD and Rey Mysterio and all these new guys with new movesets. That's the last time I can remember legitimately caring about the modern roster on a wrestling game. Yeah, yeah. And Steiner's in the... And, yeah, and, indeed. And, and people like that, that was, it's just now, maybe me as uh, I'm just old, but let me play as Austin, man, job done. Indeed. That'll do it for merchandise, and now we're going to head over to Baltimore and check out the Great American Bash. Are you ready for this portion? Uh, surprisingly more than I thought I would be. Welcome to Baltimore, Maryland, and the high-intensity action of glory days, in contrast to the serenity of the thoroughbred farms of Worthington Valley. Here in Baltimore, the Inner Harbor, one of the great reconstructions of a major city in the United States. Then it's to the action in the Baltimore Arena. Let's go there for World Championship Wrestling. and Bob Cottle with you here, ringside fans, and it was going to be a, a wrestling event. I'm sure you're not soon going to forget, Bob, we've got nine great matches, but I think we all know what the fans came here to see. We don't get the best of starts, though, because we get a really <laughs> cheesy Baltimore intro, which I'll splice a little bit of, or I will have already done for the opening there. And the commentary team of JR and Bob Cottle doesn't excite me either. And, of course, we get that old message on the network that it's presented in the most complete form possible so the first few minutes have me really worried but thankfully it doesn't carry on down that path it's surprisingly in one piece we then get a two ring battle royal for fifty thousand dollars in prize money um this is a bit of a unusual concept because if you're eliminated from one ring you go into the second ring and are part of the next battle and then the idea is the two winners so whoever wins the first one and whoever wins the second one will face each other but they don't have the guys in the second ring wait for the first one to be finished so what you have is guys being eliminated from one battle royal and entering into an already going battle royal at the same time which makes it a little bit messy to keep up with 
It's complete, Mr. Phil. So you'll have to forgive me for only having brief notes here, but things were happening at the same time, and I tried to write down the best I could. You know that WCW, the, the so-called death of it, was because of Vince Russo, and you know one of his things was to overstipulate matches. Bollocks! It's a WCW thing because they did this in '89. They need a page of instructions That's, that wrestlers, wrestling fans, don't don't. If they wanted interesting uh, rules, they watch American football. They watch wrestling because the rules are easy. Yeah, and wrestling fans, there's, you know, a good bunch of us, and then there's some of the not most intelligent folk in the world also blended into that crowd. Yeah, so this is WCW, so there's a fair mix. This match is actually called a King of the Hill match, and they all come out wearing crowns, um, which is a little bit cheesy as well. The rundown of wrestlers here is Eddie Gilbert, uh, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, Scott Hall, Bill Irwin, Brian Pillman, Ranger Ross, Mike Rotunda, Ron Simmons, the Steiner Brothers, Dr. Death, Kevin Sullivan, Big Sid Vicious, and Dan Spivey. Uh, The last two guys there were the Twin Towers tag team. Jim Ross said that they'd all won a battle royal to gain entry. Um, come on, when the fuck did Ranger Ross win a battle royal? I mean, you've got to be disappointed at that fucking house, show. <laughs> yeah, the big battle royal winners, Ranger Ross. Who the fuck is this guy? He must have been wrestling children or something. That's why Buck Zumoff <laughs> is a, not in it. Just a... <laughs> He's already been arrested for wrestling children at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing, he didn't understand. He, he just kept getting pinned. He was like, "Pin me, pin me!" <laughs> oh, oh no, this is going to go down a bad place because now I'm just picturing. You know that spot they used to have it back in the day when it, with like Earl Hebner when he would referee two of the women. Yeah, <laughs> and they'd roll. <laughs> this is definitely oh, heading down a dark place. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Reverse, reverse. Um, <laughs> we we may or may not cut that. <laughs> We won't. No, we probably won't. <laughs> I've got no shame. <laughs> Just to prove I'm right, though, Ranger Ross is eliminated almost immediately, so they fucking corrected that mistake. Yeah. He, uh, he, he's not going to get a lot from the pay window. No. Ron Simmons goes out pretty early, too, and then my note here just says they're fighting in the second ring already. Fuck, this is a mess. And Ron Simmons is already eliminated from the second ring before a third person is out of the first one. What's going on here, Ron Simmons? I know, this is obviously before he got his big push. I don't think he could have got a smaller push with this one. (laughs) Scott Hall and Terry Gordy are out into the second ring, as is Bill Irwin. We cut to a half-and-half screen, which is more annoying. Um, Pillman and Sid are the last two left in the first ring. Um, The ring announcer's trying to give time and uh, eliminations, and it's just noise. There's too much of it going on. Effectively, Sid wins the Battle Royal in the first ring, then hangs out while the second one goes. There's only three left in the other ring at this point as well. Uh, Dr. Death, Rotunda, and Dan Spivey. Dr. Death dumps out the future IRS and trips the Doctor, and Spivey eliminates him. And here I am already and pumped because the skyscrapers are about to explode. But Teddy Long does something that many wrestlers have claimed to do over the years and none have actually followed through on. They just end the match as a draw and split the prize money. Absolutely brilliant. I'm marked out huge for this. It's just a genius bit of healing. Williams tripped there by Rotunda. Williams and Rotunda have developed quite a rivalry in recent years. 
recent weeks. The Thunder should have left the ringside area. And Williams hit from behind by Spivey. And Williams Whoa. goes outside. Whoa. Look, this is what we talked about. Partner against partner right here. Tag team partners. These two left. The winners of the Battle Royal make it to the interview area. Our colleague from the Wrestling News Network, Gordon Soley, will be standing by in just a few moments with the winners of the Battle Royal. And let's matter of fact, they're standing by now. Let's go to Gordon Soley. Right now is the manager of the skyscrapers, if you will, Mr. Theodore Long. A very, very cool move on your part. Well, let me say something to you, Mr. Gordon Soley. I've told you, I've told the people, and now I've proved it, that I've got two of the most vicious men in professional wrestling today. They're undefeated. They just won $50,000 right here and won the Triple Crown, okay? So all we're waiting on now is Ricky Steamboat, the Steiners, Ric Flair, Bring them on. The Road Warriors, it don't make any difference to us. And anybody like Sting, if they're afraid to go against one of the skyscrapers by themselves, then pal, get your partner, because we're going to take care of everybody in the NWA. Jim Hurd doesn't like it. The NWA doesn't like it. And I know you don't like it, but there's nothing that nobody can do about it. We're the winners, number one, and we're going to take care of each and every opponent that we step in the ring with. And don't you people forget it. We we are the best. Thank you so very much, Mr. Theodore Long. Time to go back to the ring for more action. It's so good. It's the exact opposite of Bret Hart and Bad News Brown, where they eliminate everyone and then one turns on the other, which is a typical way battle royals always end if two, two um, friends or alliances make it to the end. But this is brilliant. They actually just don't have the last match. Um, and Teddy Long cuts a brilliant promo. He is looking rough here. Um, but he, he, we get a bit of a horrible cut away, which is sad. But then we get back it solely with Teddy. And um, he challenges everybody on the roster to face the skyscrapers. And interestingly enough, he doesn't appear to have any top teeth here. So I guess the Teddy Long we all knew and love had falsies for the rest of his run. I, I think if I didn't, uh, they didn't introduce him to Teddy Long. I actually wonder if that was Teddy Long. Yeah, he's um he's not he definitely looks better later on in his career. He ages well. Like a fine wine. <laughs> we then go to our next match and we it's a little bit weird to me this because it's guys from the Battle Royal now have matches, so it's Brian Pillman up against Bill Irwin. Um Bill Irwin jumps Pillman and then hits him with a hip toss at drop kick and puts on a head headlock, a baseball slide and some arm drags. Um 
they tell us on commentary that Brian Pillman played football, wrestled, and played hockey. So there you go. That's a JR commentary summed up there. Yeah, and it's surprising because um, the loose cannon gets all over the future goons. So who would have thought it was Pillman that had played hockey? Yeah, not not, not the other guy. Uh, Bill Irwin takes over and puts on a chin lock and a clothesline. Pillman comes back with a clothesline and a splash, but misses a missile drop kick. Irwin hits a gut wrench suplex for a two and tosses Pillman into the second ring. They then argue with the ref and Pillman hits a crossbody from one ring into the next for the one, two, three, and the right man went over there for sure. Definitely. If Bill Irwin had shouted one more time, I think I would have climbed into the TV set and slapped him. <laughs> I'm now going to play for you a little clip from um, Paulie Dangerously with... Uh, with Gordon Soley cutting a promo on Jim Cornette. A very shouty promo here from Heyman and not what we came to expect later on. Paulie, dangerously right now, and in just a few moments, uh, you're going to go into the ring against Jim Cornette. You realize the only way you can win the match is to strip his tuxedo from him. See, that's what everybody's been telling me, to win the match this, to win the match that. I am not concerned with winning this match that's the point i've been trying to tell everybody i don't care if i win i'm here for one reason i'm gonna take jim Cornette out o-u-t out because you see in 1986 i was a photographer and i saw jimmy Cornette fall off a scaffold in starcade and i saw his knee come completely out Paid off his doctor, and I know one thing, Jimmy Cornette, your knee is not recovered completely. Your knee is still in bad shape. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact that you're wearing a knee brace. You are not ready for this match. I'm going to take you out, my man. I'm obsessed with your demise. I've done everything I possibly can to prepare for this. I've been living dangerously all my life. I stand on a beach when a hurricane comes in. I've leaned over the top of the Empire State Building. Hey, I've even hired Rob Lowe as a babysitter. I'm ready for you, my man. I'm ready for this match. Win, lose, or draw. They're going to have to call me the greatest manager in wrestling. Because after tonight, my man, you'll never be able to walk again. You're going to be hopping around like a Vietnam victory. Well, some very hard words from Paul E. Dangerously, Jim Cornette, facing a man now that he knows his strategy. He's going to be injured if Paul E. Dangerously can handle it. Back to the ring. What did you think about the promo with um with Paulie? And are you excited for the tuxedo match between Heyman and Cornette? I'm surprisingly excited, but I don't know if that's more for listening to Cornette's podcast now. What I couldn't get over is how much Paulie looks like Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, he does. I, I was like, has he just started Batman? Because this is mental. <laughs> but no, it's another good promo. I, I like to see like, the evolution of Paulie. From where where he's starting off as a psycho, you're moving towards like what we have now. I'd like to see Jim Cornette in a Canadian tuxedo match against Orange Cassidy in 2019. That what would be uh, certainly would make some money. I I don't understand Orange Cassidy. I think it's an age thing. I can't. Yeah, it doesn't do it for me. I can't understand it, but then I get offended. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I find myself nodding along a little bit too much to Jim Cornette, and then I wonder if uh, when you get to that time in your life and you didn't realise you were right wing, but suddenly you are. <laughs> I um I think Jim Cornette largely is out of touch in this day and age, and wants things to be far more old school than they are ever going to be successful. But this is one area where I do agree with him. I just I don't understand a guy getting in the ring with his hands in his pockets and 
lightly tapping the ankle of his opponent. It, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it's a competition. It's like, that's probably the thing I've enjoyed most about doing, doing this run of shows, really. Aye. We then go to the Dynamic Dudes taking on the Skyscrapers with Teddy Long. And yes, we've got the Dynamic Dudes. It's Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas. I actually punched the air. <laughs> I've just got here, shit, this has got to be a squash match, surely. But um, no, it's surprisingly competitive. Yep, you've got uh, wrestlers coming in with chaps on, because besides Cowboys, all wrestlers like chaps. Yeah, and the dudes come out and they get a miserable-looking little shit out of the crowd to throw a frisbee with them, which is so funny. Yeah, it's it's, it's terribly great. I like how they don't come out skateboarding, not unlike uh, Darby Allen. <laughs> the crowd chants Peanut Head at Teddy Long, which is something you'll hear a lot for the next 20 or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, we get started with a shoulder block from Spivey. Uh, the dudes hit a double-team drop kick and monkey flip. Um, we get a top rope crossbody from Johnny Ace, and he nearly spikes his own head. As the crowd go mental, chanting, we want Sid. He is over as hell. Yeah, yeah, he's... Sid is an anomaly that no one can explain, and I fucking love him. I think Sid is the most over person on either of these two shows. And he, he, just for being Sid. Yeah, he, he milks it nicely. He gets a huge pop when he tags in, and then he'll do a move or two and tag straight back out. Um, Dan Spivey comes back in and hits a clothesline for, for a cheer, so the crowd is definitely on the, the side of the skyscrapers. Fuck the dudes. Oh, yeah, yeah. this is uh, prime. We're not going to cheer the two idiots wearing Daglo. <laughs> We get a side slam from Spivey and then a razor's edge, a vertical suplex for a two, and Sid gets a clothesline, which gets him an even bigger ovation than uh, some of the title changes, and he milks the hell out of it, going down on one knee to pose. You could do theses on on Sid's charisma, and no one could prove what it is. It's just Sid. Sid is brilliant. Uh, The crowd are absolutely gagging for him. If of all the all the times at WrestleMania when they bring out the old legends, there's usually a bit of rumbling about Goldberg and the Rocks sometimes. But I, I reckon if they brought Sid out, everyone would be like, "Fuck yeah, Sid!" Hundred percent. I want to see Sid. Sid coming out at WrestleMania. Perfect. We get a very lukewarm tag to Johnny Ace, who hits a top rope clothesline for a two. A four-man brawl. The dudes do another double-team drop kick and hip toss before Spivey hits an awful-looking powerbomb for the one, two, three. And we go backstage to a strange sight. Gordon Soley interviewing Jim Cornette, who's cutting a babyface promo. Blew my mind. I mean, to say Jim Cornette's good at interviews is... uh... Hardly earth-shattering, but the babyface interview I thought would be hard to uh, for him to get over. But no, I really enjoyed it. And now it's time for the tuxedo match. Paulie taking on Jim Cornette. But during the introductions, we see a sign in the crowd which has NWA is number one, and then a word blurred out stinks. And you've got to think when the World Wildlife Fund thing went down and Vince had to go back and blur his whole tape library. This might be the one instance where he went. Oh, jeez, what a shame. I've got to blur out WWF. He, uh, 
All they had to do was pay some money. But Vince is like, get rid of it. I can make you sound less wrestling if I put entertainment on the end. <laughs> Cornette punches and rips at the tuxedo. Paulie takes a powder and then gets his phone and hits Jim Cornette in the knee. Um, his earlier promo, of course, was directed at the fact that Jim Cornette had blown his knees out years prior, falling from the scaffold. Um his phone is nice and big and heavy and does some damage. It's definitely not like being hit with an iPhone, which I was earlier this evening. Um, my mum threw an iPhone at my elbow, and I've now got tingling sensation in my fingers, so I may have to sue her. Yeah, I think that's well, all that or uh, have a Hell in a Cell match or something to sort it out. <laughs> yeah, I'll spike a drink and um, just leave a lay on the couch or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to do something cruel to get back at her. Just whatever you do, don't film it in just red light because no fucker can see it. <laughs> um, we get, they both end up with their jackets off. Uh, we get a big pop when Cornette fights back. Paulie spits on him and Cornette sells the leg really well. Um, he makes a baby face comeback, gets Paulie's shirt, kicks the powder that Paulie's attempting to use into his face and then takes his pants and Paulie in his tidy whities legs it a sore loser. This also wasn't shit. This, I was very confused at this point because I thought this is going to be complete and utter shit given that the match, whichever one it was with uh, rubbish Ronnie Garbage wearing a dress. Uh, but I actually enjoyed this one as well. This, this one, this made me question a lot of things about my life. I was expecting a Jim Cornette versus Jose Lothario type deal, and it was not that, that's for sure. They, were, they did a good job of, of, of working, but looking like they couldn't work, obviously, because they're managers. It just, and it didn't go too long, and they did everything that kind of shortcuts without feeling like shortcuts. But it's really good. Far better than he had any we had right s- to it. We had selling and ring psychology in this match. It, more than a, uh, a lot of matches you get now. 100%. Um, something that's not very good, though, is Gordon Soley with Gary Hart, who cuts a promo pretty much the same way your dad would. This is just awful. My dad cuts a hell of a promo. It's Gary Hart. Good God. <laughs> I, I thought you were supposed to be good at it, but I wasn't impressed with this. No, not one bit. Um, yeah, he just didn't resonate with me at all um obviously he's managing muta and talking about his upcoming match with sting but yeah not the best what is good though is we go to the varsity club taking on the steiner brothers um and i just think what fucking college did kevin sullivan graduate from to be in the varsity club he's an enigma (laughs) and why on earth do the steiner brothers come out with uh missy hyatt and a dog i Scott Siner is the only answer I've got there. <laughs> it's going to be like when he came out with a lion or something. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a crazy mother. <laughs> we get a four-man brawl, um, chairs and rails and crazy start. Um, Scott Steiner is dressed like Hulk Hogan here, which is quite weird. And um, we've got IRS dressed as a wrestler, <laughs> which is, again, very weird to me. Um we basically just all brawl along the outside. Um, Rick Steiner hits a power slam for a two and then counters a sunset with headbutts to the bollocks. Um, Kevin Sullivan goes for a power slam on Rick, but Scott Steiner crossbodies him off the top and they both pin Sullivan for the one, two, three in a fast but hot tornado tag. This was actually really good. This was 
Kevin Sullivan in a match is usually one of uh, utter despair. But uh, it's really, really went. I mean, uh, I know the Steiners uh, don't don't hurt to have them in the match, but I thought everyone held, held their their, uh, their end of the bargain, and it was actually interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I never would have thought I'd want to see the Taskmaster and IRS teamed up, but this was good. I mean, I'm not suggesting that I want the networks only ever showing matches with these two, but far better than uh, you could possibly expect. We then get Gordon Soley with Sting, who says, I normally go nuts when I talk to you, but the first time, but uh, then follows it up with, this is the first time for me and you talking to each other. I'm like, you fucking idiot. You've got, like, what are you talking about, Sting? <laughs> Sting's promos, uh, certainly in at this point, um, are flavoured a little bit with the nose candy, I think. <laughs> this is not one of his better ones. Um, he's got Eddie Gilbert with him there, who stays for a chat after Sting leaves, and he basically says he's going to watch get Gary Hart on the outside, so there you go. We then go to that match at Sting and the Great Muta, um, and this is for the television title, which Sting is holding at the moment. Um, Sting hits a crossbody, um, leaping from one ring to the other, the same move Brian Pillman did earlier. Muta comes off the top with a chop and a backbreaker, a karate kick and a plancher in a really hot start, so this is quite good. Um, Sting hits a top rope clothesline, a drop kick, and they brawl along the outside before Muta locks on a sleeper and gets a slight Muta chant from the crowd. Yeah, they're right. The crowd are definitely doing that part. We get an abdominal stretch and an eye poke before Sting hits a clothesline, a bulldog, and a drop kick, and then Muda hits a green mist on the referee when Sting ducks. <laughs> we get a moonsault from Muta, and the new ref comes out and counts a two. Sting then hits a back suplex and bridges for a three, but the other referee says Muta um, actually won the match, Bit weird considering he was blind a moment ago. Muda leaves with a belt as Sting is announced as the winner and replay shows that neither of them actually had their shoulders down. So this was um, convoluted and unnecessary in what was an otherwise good match. And I'm assuming that Dusty was uh, behind this nefarious scheme. <laughs> it has his fingerprints all over it. Definitely. Um, Soli is then with Lex Luger, who cuts not his best promo. Um, nothing really to write home about here. No, I, I, I always start, start to zone out when they start mentioning lawyers and, uh, and uh, suing each other. And, yeah, speaking of um, legal proceedings, we go to Ricky Steamboat challenging Lex for his US title, and Lex starts the match by demanding that the no-disqualification stipulation be lifted or he won't have the match. We then get a promoter come out to discuss with um, Ricky Steamboat, who accepts the stipulation, and we go from a no-DQ to a regular match. How pissed would you be if you had bought the show or gone to the show thinking you were going to get this wild brawl between these two and they change it. Like, it's okay if you change a regular match to a no-DQ, but in reverse, it feels a little cheap. Yeah, you, you don't take stipulations off. Uh, people tend to get pissed. When the match starts, Steamboat hits a small package for a two and a pair of drop kicks. Sorry, excuse me. Um, chops and they brawl along the outside before Lex tapes, takes over. Hits a nice press slam and three clotheslines. Steamboat goes for a punch, but hits the referee. Um, gets nailed by Lex Luger, which is really good heat. Um, 
Oh, sorry, no. Steamboat goes for a punch, but the referee blocks it, and then Lex, this allows Lex to nail Steamboat for really good heat. Lex hits a power slam for a two, a crossbody from Steamboat, and Lex has a running argument with some guy in the front row. We don't hear his take, but Lex does get a few choice insults in on him. Lex, Lex concentrate on Steamboat. <laughs> He uh, dives at Steamboat and the referee ducks going over the top. And I write here, that better not be a fucking DQ, but thankfully it's not. Lex goes up to- up top, but gets caught with a Ricky Steamboat dropkick, who then goes up top and hits a chop for a two. Lex backdrops Steamboat from one ring to the other. And again, I'm hoping not for no DQ, and thankfully it's not. But then Lex gets a chair. Steamboat catapults his head off the chair and then nails him with it and takes a disqualification loss, um, chasing him off with a chair. And we see now why Lex wanted the no DQ lifted so he could go the stupid Steamboat into costing himself the title. Great match, Mankindy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, could probably see it coming with that opening um little segment prior to the match so a bit disappointing but good match overall we then get some promos building up the upcoming war games match i'll splice in a bit of the first one here it's a free birds and the wild Samo- samoans which is quite the odd combination um, the highlight of it all is of course is michael ps hayes and then promos from the faces uh the lod are definitely the highlights of that um with the midnight express and dr death so very interesting. Um, and then we're going to go into the War Games match. Ha! I've heard some talk going around here. Silly talk. I've heard some real silly talk. They're saying that we should be worried in the War Games. And I think Whoa. that's pretty silly. Anybody with a half a brain, Michael, can take a look at their television set right now. And you tell me, baby, look into that tube. And if you look like us, would you be worried? No, 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 no. We don't care, do we? No, 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 no. Michael, tell them how we feel, will you? First of all, we, you have to care. The reason we don't have to care is we got what you want. And you know what you can do? You can one one hand, do what you know else in the other, and see which one fills up first, boy. Because sitting right beneath us, is the savage beast yes. that came across our yes. boat. No, they didn't let him on no jet airliner. No, they didn't let him on no silver eagle. They paddled across on a boat. And they've been going in your face, road warriors. And they've gone down and ripped your heart yes. right out. And then the Midnight Express, the most technical team in professional wrestling, has had technical breakdowns. Right through your television set. 
You understand that, warriors? Midnight! No! And Dr. Death, the whole thing has come to an end! We're gonna drop the bomb tonight! Love a war games, man, even though I'm not. I'm not so sold on their cage uh, as I am the one that uh, NXT use because they uh, the cage they use in WCW is probably only ten centimeters taller than some of the wrestlers. Yeah, it's a bit short. Um, you remember um, the year that Pillman and Sid were in there, and Sid nearly killed him on a power bomb. Yeah, yeah, it's just restricted, but you know, I guess it does make them look like monsters. Indeed. So it's um, Legion of Doom, Midnight Express, and Dr. Death up against the Freebirds and the Samoans. And we get... Da, 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 da. Bobby Eaton starting for the Faces and Jimmy Garvin starting for the Heels. We had a neckbreaker from Bobby Eaton. It's a five-minute period, then two minutes after the first one, of course. Garvin hits a slam and pounds on Eaton while Michael P.S. Hayes yells at him from outside the cage. And as always, the heels get the second, uh, get the, the two-on-one advantage. Bam Bam Gordy comes in, and they go two-on-one for two minutes. But we can't have any falls until everyone's been in, so it is just a beat down to try and wear them down. Dr. Death comes in and hits a press slam into the top of the cage repeatedly on Bam Bam, which is quite impressive. Um, Terry Gordy's a big guy, and Dr. Death is pressing him into the roof of the cage. So you're right, it did make him look like a monster there. Oh, he's absolutely mollered Samu comes in next and hits a spin kick and we go to the three on two before Animal comes into a big pop. He cleans house and then hits a huge leap over the ropes to shoulder uh, charge in the other ring. Fatu come in and the Samoans go to work double teaming on Animal. Um, Stan Lane comes in next and they brawl across both rings now as it starts to fill up. Hayes comes in and Paul E had basically said to him as the countdown was on, go in and DDT all of them, um, which he promptly attempts to do. We get a We Want Hawk chant, and then Hawk comes in finally and runs wild. Um, he does the same in out of one ring and into the other shoulder block. We go into a 10-man brawl. Hawk hits a nice clothesline, a neck breaker, and a hangman neck, uh, neck lock for the win. Um, so, yeah, submission victory, as can be the only way to stop the war games. The faces go to leave the cage, but the heels grab a hold of Animal and then shut the door. They start a beat down on Animal for a little while, but eventually Hawk and Dr. Death get back in the ring and then the heels do leave. So faces are victorious, but a little bit of cheap heat at the end for the for the bad guys. And it's one of the few documented times when a road warrior sells a move. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was pretty good, though. I enjoyed that overall. I thought that went pretty quick and lots of interesting moves and combinations. I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I tend to find with uh, World Games that, uh, that it's stipulation of waiting for everyone to get in so before you can have, you have a pin can sometimes sort of like make you zone out because nothing, nothing's going to happen until everyone's in. But I thought he did a really good job of uh, making you forget that. Oh, absolutely. No, this, this was actually really good. I enjoyed this. So, um, yeah, and again, once again, great picks. But we're not quite finished because we do have our main event to go to now. Um, before that, we've got Gordon Solly with Ric Flair, who at this point is just a six-time world champion. Go figure. Yeah, I was shocked when uh, they said that. It's like he, he manages to squeeze 10 in in the next 10 years, isn't it? 
it's a bit of a reserved Ric Flair promo. Nothing like his best work. Um, he's talking about a neck injury at the hands of Terry Funk, so they're trying to sell the seriousness of it, which I can live with. But um, it, it does rob us of a classic fr- Flair promo here. He's definitely gone for the serious. We get um, Funk... Terry Funk and Ric Flair here. Terry Funk challenging for the title, and Funk comes out with Gary Hart. Ric Flair, of course, the storyline, as we said, his neck injury all the way. They brawl along the outside, as you ex- would expect in a Terry Funk match. Bit of a slugfest. JR calls Terry Funk middle-aged and crazy, so he was middle-aged for a long time. I think Terry Funk was like, oh, no, this is born middle-aged. <laughs> that might be true. He hits a suplex and then botches a suplex on the floor. Some more brawling before Flair hits a knee drop and a a couple of pile drivers on Funk. That was a move that Funk injured Flair's neck with. Funk rolls out and crawls up the aisle. We get another slugfest when Flair catches him. A forearm for a two, a back suplex and the figure four. But Terry Funk uses um, the branding iron to escape. Hits a pile driver and Flair is busted wide open. The clarity is everywhere. Indeed. Flair then uses a branding iron. Funk locks on his classic spinning toe hold, but Ric Flair turns it into a small package for the one, two, three. Um, hot crowd for this, but it was a pretty basic match. I thought it was uh, it was good at what he did, but it was very like, mechanical. But uh, I, I, it's often I don't think seem to remember Ric wrestling a lot like that as the baby face. With the fire, so I actually quite like the change in, in pace. No, no begging off or uh, his usual shenanigans. We're not finished here though, because Muda comes out and hits Ric Flair with the mist, and they go to a two-on-one beatdown. Doug Dillinger comes in, and Muta nails him, which outrages the commentary team. Then Sting comes out and makes a save. There's a really hot brawl all over the arena between the four of them. Uh, then Ric Flair finally heads over to the commentary table um, and basically brings Sting across. I'll splice it in here because it's an interesting first interaction from Flair and Sting. Um, they cut a little promo there, and then the commentary team signs off. Um, we get told we'll hear more about the TV title confusion, and Ric Flair and Terry Funk uh, rivalry is expected to carry on as the credits roll. Continuing, I think, fans, we can very easily say that the war between Terry Funk and Ric Flair is far, far from over. Jim, any way you want to put it, that's for sure. It's going to end, and it's going to end when one of them can't continue to go. Well, I want to tell you, I wish we had a chance to say something to... Yeah, there's, there's a champion yeah, right here. We just here got a couple of minutes. A hell of a victory. Let me just say this. Anybody out there that had the privilege of seeing this? Well, we're going to keep her here. Yeah, he'll be back. He'll be back. Yeah, he wants to get Sting in there. I haven't said thank you in 10 years. Thank you, pal. Now the bottom line is, Terry Funk... We just started, pal. We just got warmed up. After two and a half months, I'm just breaking a good sweat. So wherever it is, and pal, it'll be again soon. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to dog you until I wear your Texas ass out. Jim, if that's the beginning, I want to see the end. I'll tell you something. Hey, 
Is that I, it? I hope so. I don't think my heart will take anymore, Jim. I, I'll tell you something, fans. We, uh, we have the television championship, we understand, will be investigated. We're going to look at all the angles of the tape. I have no idea. Right now, as it stands, the television championship has been held up. Ric Flair has successfully defended the World's Heavyweight Championship. But as we said, the war is just beginning with Flair and Funk, Bob. Yeah, very. Um, it always takes me back there, the WCW credits. But another good show. So two from two. This is definitely um, an interesting one to call here. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought, again, it was really good because it was different to what most of the Rumble but it was just, there wasn't, Even though it was, for, for today's standards, quite old-fashioned wrestling, it wasn't boring old-fashioned wrestling. There was no Wahoo Daniels kind of level <laughs> of can't give a shit. Indeed. I um I really enjoyed both of these. So two of the better shows you and I have watched together, I, I will say. Um, probably not enjoyed two shows you and I have done since Degeneration X in your house and SummerSlam 88. No. Nothing's hit the lows of that ECW show for a while, so. <laughs> yeah, no um no Wrestle Rock Rumble here. Oh, no. So should we go out and pick ourselves a winner? I think the winners were both. I think we won. <laughs> that is definitely a case to be argued. Um, but as always, we've got to find out which of the two shows we enjoyed the most, um, which is going to be difficult on this one, but we're going to do it anyway. Storyline-wise, who do you think had the best storyline advancement on the night? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go probably the WWF. I, I like the stuff in the Fogan and that show. Uh, I don't think both shows necessarily... Did anything out of the ordinary? I mean, you've got the TV title, and you've got uh, Ricky Steamboat on the other side, but it wasn't. Uh, it was just general background to in next week wrestling. Uh, so I'm probably going to go WWF mostly just because they're sowing the seeds of, of uh, dissent. Considering WrestleMania Five was, you know, I sort of real banner point in WWF history. And this was one of the biggest selling um, of the story up until that point. And I think it's this in a Saturday night's main event that that show comes off the back of. I've got to agree with you and go WWF, but WCW had some good storyline advancement itself. I think the only one that soured me was a TV title situation, but outside of that, they moved a lot of their stories along or started new ones. Well, certainly uh, made enough of the wrestlers in the matches to make them be usable for stories later on down the line. Who do you think put the uh, bet the the better cast of characters on the shows? Then I think probably again, if if you look at uh, the because this show had a lot of wrestlers on, I still think that WWF had the better better because they didn't have Ranger Ross. You know, every, <laughs> everyone in the Rumble technically. Uh, could have won that rumble, whereas there was no way on this planet your Ranger Ross was going to do anything, and he did. So I'm probably they did have their own. They did have their own double R jobber though in the Red Rooster. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, but, but no, I I went to WWF as well. I mean, it's Hulk Hogan in his in his pomp, isn't it? So they've got the hotter characters by default, really. Yeah, it's it's not again. I mean, 
odd to say this isn't because this is the other show's not getting points, but it's still good. It's not. This isn't. It's just that the, as as you well know, the WWF in 1989 was uh, particularly hot. Yeah, and one of the the easiest ones for me to pick here was production value. They nailed it. Um, this was the slick post Saturday night's main event having started up error of production whereas WCW was still very dark had lots of weird jump cuts and lost some of the footage so that was an easy one for me did you take them as well yeah yeah the WCW's uh, addiction to split screen in a time when TV screens weren't big enough to do it hardly weren't big enough now takes uh, <laughs> uh, kind of ruins bits and pieces like that it just just feel it's just not quite smooth. I agree. Um, I did, however, go with WCW for the crowd heat, and that's down to one man, really. It's Sid. Um, but the crowd was hot on both shows. Um, they were particularly hot for WCW, though, for my money. So I went that way. Wh- which way did you go on crowd heat? I was I was probably looking at a draw, but I, I think I should give a, a mark to WCW. The, the, the Sid chance alone or uh, taking the roof off and when even Sting's getting a massive reaction. This will be an interesting one. The final category is match quality. Who did you think presented the better matches on the night? You know what? I think I am going to go WCW, which is bizarre given that Kevin Sullivan was wrestling. I think there's a spectacle (laughs) The Royal Rumble is is uh, by far the best uh, <coughs> gimmick they've come up with. But I think wrestling takes takes a hit. Whereas on the WCW side, there's not a match there. I don't think I'm. I think if someone said, "Oh, I'm going to watch this," I wouldn't say, "Oh, you'll have to skip uh, skip that." Whereas Royal Rumble, uh, you just just jump the the women's match because it's it's hot garbage. Yeah, and I'd take a two out of three falls. <laughs> two out of three falls Ranger Ross match over a Judy Martin match any day of the week. I, I would rather just uh, put Ranger Ross in the middle of the ring on a chair telling me his life story than Judy Martin wrestling. <laughs> so WCW came out of it pretty strong. Uh, WWF takes it with three categories to two, but. Um, close call and I think that fairly reflected the two shows because these were two really really good shows for the time um, that have actually held up pretty well over time as well so if you want to watch 1989 wrestling I can strongly recommend either of these two shows will definitely help you get your fill um, really enjoyed this Richie yeah it was good I think you can tell uh, the the level of the the show is when it goes to play the next episode you don't scramble for the remote in case you have to put up with some more of the shit you've been watching. Whereas, you know, if, if, if the network was smart enough to play the next night's TV, I might, I might watch another episode of WCW. I might just see what was going on. I just would have been Saturday night, I assume. Yeah, it would have... Um, yeah, I actually... That, that uh, network function is long overdue as well, by the way. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed these. So, really, really quality wrestling. Um, which means we have now finished the 80s. Are we going to go out with a 1990 pair of shows, do you think? Is that the best way to bookmark this by seeing what the 90s started with? I reckon so. I reckon that uh, is seems fair because that would be 1990s and WrestleMania 6 year. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. I reckon we, we can't leave it here. 
there's actually four good pay-per-views from the WWF in 96. Um, the Rumble's good. SummerSlam's actually quite good. And Survivor Series that year is a debut of The Undertaker. So some good choices there, as well as lots of Saturday night main events to choose from. And we've got... Um, I don't know too much about WCW 1990, so we'll have to have a bit of a look and come up with something, and we'll end the 80s journey with a 1990 couple of shows to, to finish us off. Yeah, I reckon I'm pretty certain AWA hasn't got anything in there, and that is only as a benefit for our sanity. <laughs> then you and I have got to find a, um, a new direction for our future shows after that as well. So not only have we got to pick two shows, but we've got to come up with what we're going to do next. Yeah, Uh I, I don't have any ideas at the minute, but I'm sure I can come with some form of torture for us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll find something. Uh, we, we can even head off in a different direction. We can pick out, you know, we can, we can watch pretty much anything we want. So um, whatever it is we come up with will be enjoyable nonetheless. We can do MLW versus uh, NWA Power. <laughs> Oh, man. I actually I wouldn't mind to do something a little bit out of left field. It's just got to be something we've both got access to as well, I guess. That's the hard part. Oh, yeah. yeah. This damn streaming world. I know. I'm, I'm not the best at finding um, links to anything that's not on the network. So um, if anyone out there wants to help hook me up with different links and different places to watch wrestling, let me know. Otherwise, we'll put our heads together at some point and think of something next. Uh, but one show to go first anyway, so no great rush. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for us today. Um, have you got anything you want to talk about before we head out today, Richie? Absolutely not. I'm just going to go lay down on the couch and let Sunday afternoon float over me. But no, that will do it. So thank you all for listening. Um, another good episode here. We've really enjoyed it. And we will speak to you all again very, very soon. Nice one. <laughs>